0: So I have a story to tell you today. It's a true story about Yeshua of Nazareth and some adventures that he went on on a road trip to Jerusalem. And you can locate this story in the Gospel of Yochanan, John, chapter 7. So here's the story. A long time ago, in a land far away, it was actually almost 2,000 years ago, And it was across the ocean in the land of Israel. Now, here's something you need to know about the land of Israel. Israel has a couple different provinces. There's Galilee up in the north. And in Hebrew, you say that's the Galil. Everybody say Galil. Galil. And that's where Yeshua lived. That's where, like, the the Sea of Galilee was and uh, Capernaum and Nazareth and some of those cities, right? And then down in the south, you had Judea. Everybody say Judea. And that's where the capital Jerusalem was. You kind of had more cultured, um, educated people down in Judea. And then up in the Galilee, that was more where the, they were a little, uh, they were more like the the rednecks of Israel. They were, they they were more like the hillbillies. They were a little rough around the edges, right? And maybe they had a little more of those revolutionary kind of tendencies, kind of hot headed, those kinds of, those kinds of people. I don't know what the equivalent would be in Saskatchewan, maybe people from Tisdale or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, Yeshua was hanging out a lot up in the he was He was mostly staying up there because the people down in Judea, the religious leaders, wanted to kill him. So anyway, he was hanging out there for most of the summer. And after the summer ended, fall came and some of the high holidays that are listed in the Torah happened. So they had the Day of Trumpets, Yom Teruah, where they blew trumpets and they spent a lot of time praying in the synagogue. Ten days later they had Yom Kippur, they had the Day of Atonement where Yeshua and his disciples and the whole nation of Israel fasted for 24 hours and and did a lot of soul searching. And Yeshua was part of that. And after that came a festival called the Festival of Booths. Why was it called Booths? because it was seven days where Yahweh, the God of Israel said, I want you, my people to build booths, kind of like tents, shelters. If you're a little boy, you'd say it's a fort and I want you to live in them for weeks. I want you to go out there, have your meals, camp out in the things, all those kinds of things. And it's to remind you how I led the people of Israel out of Egypt and how I had them to live in temporary dwellings in booths for 40 years. And so the people of Israel have been doing that ever since, including me, including us as a community. So anyway, this season was rolling around. And there's something important you have to know about this big holiday time. Yahweh said in his teaching, his Torah, I want every one of your males in the whole nation to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate it. Now, here's the problem. Yeshua wasn't going to Jerusalem because there were some people there that wanted him dead. But, God said, get up to Jerusalem for the festival. So, Yeshua had a little conversation with his brothers. Does anybody know the names of Yeshua's four younger brothers? He had siblings, right? He was the oldest of the family, but he had four younger brothers. Did they? Our names were Yaakov or Jacob. Everybody say them with me. There was Yosi, which is like short for Yosef or Joseph. There was Shimon to Simon or Simeon in English, and there was Yehuda, who is Judah. Actually, two of his brothers went on to write books that made it into the Holy Scriptures. Uh, Jacob or, or Jacob wrote the book of James, and then Yehuda wrote the book of Jude. But anyway, this was way back, long before those guys were even thinking about writing stuff that would make it into the Holy Scriptures. So anyway, they, uh, they had a little word with Yeshua. And we don't know. We don't know if Yeshua went to his hometown Nazareth to, for the high holy days to do the fast of Yom Kippur and stuff. Or if maybe uh, Yeshua... He, his, his bros might have swung around Capernaum to say hey on their way up to Jerusalem. But either way, his bros had a conversation with him. And they said, Yeshua, you, you're doing these miracles. But you're doing them in secret. Now, if somebody wants to be known publicly, if they want to get famous then you've gotta go public with these things. So uh, why don't you go to Jerusalem and be a little more public about these miracles that you're doing so that more people will believe in you. It kind of makes sense. This is what Yeshua said back to them in response. And uh, I'm gonna read you the story after just to make sure we get it clear. So I want you to listen to how I'm telling it and then I want you to listen when I'm reading it so that we can really get the full picture, right? But essentially said, guys, okay, guys, two things. Uh, number one, it's always your time but it's not always my time. Number two, nobody wants to kill you. You don't have any enemies. The world doesn't hate you. But guess what? I've got enemies. I want people who want me dead. The world hates me. Why? Because I'm like a witness on the stand telling them that what they're doing is wrong. What they're doing is evil. That's what he said. And so he finished by saying, so guys, uh, go ahead, go up to the festival. I'm not going up because it's not my time. And so Yeshua's brothers took off and they started on the hike up to Jerusalem. And that's a pretty long hike. You're talking a couple of days walking for eight or ten hours a day. If you've ever hiked in Israel like Genevieve and I did, then you'll know what, what I'm talking about. So his brothers took off. And uh, would you know it, after his brothers took off, Yeshua started on the trip up to Jerusalem also. But he went clandestinely. He went secretly, so nobody could detect him. Who knows what that would look like? Maybe he walked with his cloak over his face, and uh, maybe he took some of the back routes or something. That's what I would do, because I love traveling back routes, and I love being secretive. Anyway, um, maybe, maybe that's what he did. So that's the first little scene in this story, all right? Yeshua in his conversation with his brothers. And Yohanan, or John, tells us, Yeshua's brothers were trying to get him to do this stuff and go public because they didn't actually believe in him. Now, so scene two, Yeshua makes it up to Jerusalem, and this guy's pretty famous. Like, you don't don't do things like healing lepers when nobody's ever healed a leper before, or bringing people back to life, like interrupting funerals, stopping funeral processions in their tracks, and raising the person from the dead. Uh, you don't do stuff like that and just healing hundreds of people and feeling like feeding crowds of thousands and thousands with just a couple loaves, like the equivalent of a Happy Meal or something. You don't do that without it hitting the media. And the ancient version of the media was just everybody talked about it, right? So everyone was talking about Yeshua. They were talking about this young rabbi from the Galilee, And uh, they were arguing about him. They were saying, where, where is the guy? Do you think he's going to show up in Jerusalem? I heard people want him dead. I don't know. And some people were saying, you know, that Yeshua guy, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Other people were saying, nah, he's he's a deceiver. Can't you tell he's a deceiver? He's totally deceiving people. He's pulling the wool over their eyes. He's selling snake oil. All those kinds of things. So you had these different people with different opinions. And other people were chiming in and saying, you know, when the Messiah comes, the Messiah's not going to do more miracles than this guy, is he? Other people were saying, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I heard... That, the Mes- we, we, that Messiah was going to come and we wouldn't know where he came from. But we know where this guy's from. He's from Nazareth. That's a no-brainer. He's Yeshua of Nazareth. Uh, Yeshua of Nazareth? He's from Nazareth? And other people were saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, we know who, where Messiah's going to come from. It says in the, the book of the really old prophet, Micah, Micah, that he was going to come from Bethlehem. And this guy's from Nazareth. He's not from Bethlehem. And so there were, all of these, there were all of these threads of conversation that were going around, but nobody, it says, was talking openly about Yeshua. Nobody would out and say, you know what? I think this guy's the Messiah. Or I think this guy's the prophet that was predicted by Moses in the Torah. Do you know why nobody was talking about him openly, it says? For fear of the Jews. Now, wait a minute. Who was it who was talking about Yeshua? Were there any Gentiles there talking about Yeshua? That was Jews, right? That doesn't make any sense. These Jews weren't talking publicly about their opinions about Messiah because they were afraid of the Jews. They were Jews. This is really, really important, guys, because when you read the Gospel of John, it often talks about, quote, the Jews. What you have to understand is when it talks about, quote, the Jews, it's not talking about all of the Jewish people for all time. It's not talking about all that generation in Israel. It's simply talking about the Judean leaders, right? The religious leaders that were based in Jerusalem in the province of Judea. They were called the Judeans or the Jews, right? So they were afraid of the the Judean leadership. Therefore they weren't talking publicly about him because it could get them kicked out of the synagogue or worse. Right? So, just remember that when you're reading the Gospel of John. So, back to our story. Would you know it? In the midst of these crowds arguing about Yeshua and wondering if he was going to show up, about halfway through this week-long festival, Yeshua shows up. He goes public in the temple. And uh, there, was, there was a custom then for all of the great sages and the teachers to, uh, to come out and just go kind of hang out in the temple and, and teach and, and tell their parables. And everybody would kind of gather around their favorite teacher. He, all of his, his Tommy Deem, his disciples would gather around him, and they would do a lot of teaching, right? So anyway, Yeshua showed up, and uh, he went public, and he showed up in the temple and started teaching also. And the crowds were a bit shocked when they heard him. They said, "Wait a minute! This guy is from this hick town, Nazareth. This guy is from Galilee, like redneck Galilee." And this guy never went to, like, rabbi school. This guy never went to one of our Torah colleges, shall we call them. How did he get so learned? How did he become such a Torah scholar? How did he become so educated when he never was educated? A lot of people were asking that. And this is what Yeshua said in response. He said, guys, my teaching, it's not from me. I'm not making these things up. My teaching is from the one who sent me. And if any of you want to know, if any of you want to do God's will, if any of you want to do what Elohim wants, you'll know whether my teaching is from me, whether I made it up, or whether it's from Him. So that's the second story. The crowds are arguing about Yeshua. He shows up at the temple. People are floored by His level of understanding in the Torah. They can't figure it out because He has no degrees. He didn't study under any of the rabbis in His generation and he says, guys, I, this isn't for me. This is from him. And if you want to do God's will, you'll know whether what I'm teaching is from him or whether I'm just making this stuff up. Third story. So the people are like seeing Yeshua in the temple teaching and they're saying, we thought, we thought the, our leaders wanted him dead. Well, he's going public. What's going on? Do they, have they given him their stamp of approval? Do they think maybe he really is the Messiah? And so were there, there were these ripples of whisperings going through the crowds when the when the Judean leaders heard this they said this has to stop right now so they sent the temple police to arrest Yeshua they said this has to stop right now go to the temple seize that man and bring him here to us so the temple police went to arrest Yeshua and they came back sometime later without Yeshua now that's a problem if you are a professional policeman and you are on duty and you are sent to do something or if you're a military police any of those kinds of things if you're sent to arrest someone you have to arrest the person and so the, the, the leaders looked at them and said well where is he and they said we've never heard anybody talk the way that man talked and at that point the leader the, the religious leaders lost it they got mad at the temple police because they realized they didn't arrest him they probably believe in this guy. They were floored by the way he teaches too. And they said, Do you see any of us believing in him? Do you see any of the, the really religious, the ultra religious guys, the, uh, the Pharisees? Do you see any of our civic or, or national leaders believing in him? It's just the common people, it's the crowds. And they don't know the co- Torah, they're all accursed. Anyway, there was a secret believer named Nicodemus or Naqdimon and he tried to get them to think about this and that just did not go very, very well also. They just accused him of being a redneck from the Galilee also. And so anyway, they didn't arrest Yeshua and uh, everybody went home. That's the third story. Now, I'm going to tell you the fourth story and this is the big one. These are kind of some little snapshots of Yeshua's last autumn before winter happened and then he went up to Jerusalem in the spring and he was crucified. So this is his like his last autumn on earth. This is his last festival of Sukkot. I want to tell you a little about, bit about Sukkot, and then I'll tell you the last story. Um, Sukkot was like a big week-long party for the whole nation of Israel. I don't I don't know if we really have an equivalent of what Sukkot would have like here in Saskatchewan and here in Canada for what it would have been like. If you can imagine like a huge celebration here in Prince Albert that lasted for a whole week, with like tons of like live bands all night long, people staying up all night long, and all kinds of things like that. That's kind of the idea. Like the whole nation converged on Jerusalem, hundreds of thousands of people. And uh, we we read about it in some of the ancient Jewish writings, what would happen. Um, People would go to the temple, and they had four huge pillars that they would set up with lamps on top. And they would have large ladders going up and the young priests would go up and they would dump basins of oil into these lamps. And for wicks, they would use the old priest's clothes. And they would light up these huge, these four huge lamps. And they say that it was so bright, it lit up every single courtyard in Jerusalem. If you can imagine in your neighborhood, some really tall pillars with lamps on the top, lighting up every single yard in the whole neighborhood, that's what it was like in Jerusalem. And... And then people would stay up all night long and the priests were there playing, uh, what does it say, they were playing flutes, they were playing harps, they were clanging their cymbals. It's really hard to sleep when you have people bashing cymbals together. If you've ever smashed potlets together, you know what I'm talking about, right? And they were clanging their cymbals and singing. They were singing praises to Yahweh all night long. And then in the morning, they would, grab, they would each grab a willow branch and they would go and they would go marching around the altar in the temple. One time, they would go marching around the altar, waving the willow branch. And um, they would do that one time until the big day of Sukkot booths. That was the seventh day. On that day, they had this big all-night party like that. It's like a, maybe you could even call it a praise party. I don't know. It wasn't just praising though. Here's something else cool. Um, Can you imagine like a 70-year-old Bible college teacher? juggling flaming torches or doing cartwheels and acrobatics and uh, doing, the, doing really silly dancing and things. That would, that's what would happen in Jerusalem. All of these old men with white hair and big beards, all of the sages of the nations, they would all kind of like, you could say, let their hair down a little bit and they would all just really let go and they would do their best to bring so much joy to everybody. So they would dance silly dances and they would do cartwheels and acrobatics And uh, they would juggle flaming torches. They were doing all these kinds of things all night long also, right? And so they were doing all these things on the seventh day of the festival. And then in the morning, two priests came in and they blew trumpets. And the high priest took a golden jar and they went down from the temple, down, down, down the road to one of the lowest places in Jerusalem where there was a pool of water called Shiloach. Everybody say Shiloach. And in, in English, it's also called the Pool of Siloam. And they would, br- they would get this pitcher of water, and they would bring it all the way back up to the temple. And the high priest would stand on the altar, and he would pour the water on the altar. And when he was pouring the water on the altar, everybody would just lose it in celebration. They would just start dancing wildly and shouting praises and singing. And it was like probably the craziest time you could imagine. But it was like a reverential time of joy. It was like they, they definitely had a sense of the awe of the creator of the universe. But at the same time, he said three times, I want you to rejoice. I want you to be really happy. I want you to celebrate during the festival of booths. So these people were doing this. Now, in Israel, the weather systems are different than here. In the fall, we kind of batten down the hatches and get ready for snow. And in the summer, it rains. In Israel, it's actually really different. In Israel, it's really hot in the summer, and you get no rain. And then in the autumn, the rainy seasons come. And so you don't really have snow in Israel. You might get the occasional sprinkling, but it's more a matter of you get rain in the winter. And if you're a farmer or from a farming community, you know that rain is very important. And so in the fall, right after the festival of booths was done, the Jewish people would begin praying for rain. Why didn't they start p- praying for rain at the beginning of booths? Because if you're camping out in the in structure with no roof, you don't really want it to rain yet, right? And so they would wait until booths was over and they all got to go home and then they pray for rain. And so that began on the seventh day. So if you can imagine the high priest bringing this golden jar of water up to the altar, pouring it out. If you can imagine all the people going around the altar seven times and praying for rain. That's the picture. Now, this is what John, Yochanan, tells us. On the last day, on the great day of the festival, on that day when all of that stuff was probably happening, Yeshua of Nazareth stood up and he started shouting. Why was he shouting? There were a lot of people. There were a lot of people. And it was probably noisy. And he wanted everybody to hear him. And this is what he said. Are you thirsty? If any of you are thirsty, Come to me and get a drink. If anybody believes in me, rivers of water, of fresh, clean, flowing, living water will come tumbling right out of his belly. That's what Yeshua said. Now, why was he talking about water? What is that a picture of? That's what we want to ask ourselves. And... I think I'm going to do that in a couple minutes. I'm going to explain, we're, we're going to go there a little bit. So I just want to, just hold that picture in your mind. Yeshua said, if you're thirsty, come to me for a drink. Rivers of water are going to come pouring out of you, All right? So that's how we're going to st- finish that fourth story. Now let's just think about those four stories and uh, just uh, ask yourselves a couple questions. Uh, you remember the first story, let's just count them. Yeshua had, this con- had some conflict with his siblings, you could say. They weren't getting it. Story two, the the crowds were arguing about him, and he went public in the temple. And he said, if you want to know where my teaching comes from. Third story, the leaders sent the temple police to arrest him. And they came back empty handed. And then fourth story, it's the big day of the festival. People are praying for rain. The high priest is pouring water on the altar. And Yeshua stands up and says, if you're thirsty, come drink for me, right? Those are the four stories. So I wanna ask you a couple questions about these. Is there um, anything about any of these stories that you really like? Let's say the story about Yeshua's brothers not understanding him, have any of you? Do you kinda like that? Just that like Yeshua's brothers didn't really understand him? Maybe you come from a family where your siblings, you were like, you just don't understand me. Oh, maybe maybe that uh, maybe you like how Yeshua didn't have any degrees maybe you're a tradesman and you like how Yeshua didn't actually go to seminary or to Bible college but he knew the Bible and he could teach the Bible in such meaningful and phenomenal ways maybe you like that if you're a tradesman um, maybe you like how Yeshua wasn't standing off at a distance when everybody was celebrating and shouting praises and prayers saying oh these guys is so emotional I can't believe they're being so emotional this is just so wrong oh he was right there in the middle and he was saying if you're really thirsty come to me there are lots of things that you might really like about these stories maybe you like how the temple police came back empty-handed that's kind of funny actually that's not very professional is it Um, how about how about these different people in these stories can you relate to anybody in any of these stories can you relate to maybe feeling like like I said, your siblings don't haven't always understood you, or you don't really feel like your family understands you. Um, maybe you can relate to uh, some of the questions the crowd had. There are some, a lot of people in this world who say, yeah, Yeshua, he, uh, he was crazy. He was just deceiving the people. Um, there are some people who think those things. Maybe you can relate to the crowd saying, no, he's a good guy. I mean, seriously. Do you think Messiah is going to do any more miracles than this guy is doing? Maybe you can relate to that opinion. Um, Can you relate to the temple police? You know, opening the memoirs that Yeshua's apostles wrote and reading his teachings and seeing how he interfaced with people and just saying, wow, I have never met someone like that before. I've never encountered someone who taught those kinds of things. I've never seen someone who loved that way, who was that compassionate. Maybe you can relate to the temple police and how they felt. Uh, maybe you can relate to the crowds on that big day of the festival, praying for good weather for the next year, praying for rain so the crops could grow. If you're a farmer from a farming background, you can definitely relate to that. Anyway, you can, you can see all these people in the story. And uh, I, I personally, when I, when I read these stories about Yeshua of Nazareth, I like to see myself in the story. I like to say, yeah, I'm like, I'm that guy. Or, you know, I'm like that person. Sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes I wish I wasn't like certain people, you know, but, um, but that's the case. So let me ask you, uh, what are some things that these stories tell us about people, about us as human beings, and what, do, what are some things that they tell us about Yeshua? Um, how, about, how about people? Let's think about that for a second. Um, one of the things this story tells us is uh, we are prone to assuming that the people that we grew up with never change, We're prone to kind of taking them for granted. We're prone to not really getting to know them for who they are. And actually, I think there's a really good tip there for us as people. Um, You know, your bro that you grew up with like 20, 30, 40 years ago, your sister that, um, that you maybe grew up really close with, but that you haven't seen as much of lately, those people may have changed. And so you never want to take those people for granted. So, you know, often, let's say at a family reunion, you get together and you assume that everybody is the same. But that's not always true. People are thinking about new things. People have questions. People are are going through, they're on a journey. And there are stages in the journey, right? So um, here's something really simple that we can take away from the story. Uh, When you're dealing with old friends of yours, with family members, even from people from your congregation that you see every week, make sure that you never take those people for granted. Make sure that you say, how are you doing? What's new in your life? What have you been thinking about, lately? Those kinds of questions, right? Kind of stay up to date. Never take a person for granted. And I, that's some advice that we get from this story. Um, something else this story tells us about people is that timing is important. And sometimes, like we'd just be ready to do anything anytime. but Yeshua says there's a specific time for certain things, like for even for taking a road trip. Um, something else this story tells us about people, is that we like to look at someone and say, okay, this guy went to school for so many years. This guy learned from such and such a professor. This guy has so much alphabet soup after his name, therefore, he must be legit. Therefore, he must really know the Bible. Therefore, he must be um, qualified to teach me that's something that we as human beings, that's a trap that we fall into. And let me say, I I value education very highly. I value higher education. I think there's definitely a place for it. People should get degrees. Like if I meet someone and I learn that they're a doctor, like, you know, if they have a doctorate, for instance, I really admire that person because I know that they've worked hard. I know that they've studied. I, I know that they're really dedicated to the subject that they've devoted themselves to learning. Right. But at the same time, that's not how it works in Yeshua's kingdom. That's something that we learn from the story. Um, what else do we learn from the story? We learn that people see if you're real or not. And that, can re- that really catches them off guard. The temple police, they had seen so many religious teachers come and go, they'd heard so many sermons. I mean, really, they worked at the temple. But when they saw Yeshua, when they heard Yeshua teaching, they said, there's something different about this guy. People watch for that, they, they, they notice If there's something different about you so don't be afraid to be different don't be afraid to communicate in a different way to relate in your own special way to love in a way that's maybe a little scandalous that's a little out of the box that's contrary to the status quo I mean often in our culture you kind of hold your cards a little close to your chest you don't wear your heart on your sleeve you're a little guarded right we all have walls And we kind of expect that there are certain ways that people relate, and you better relate that way, or there's something wrong with you. And what this story tells us is be different, because people will notice, but that's a good thing. It will arrest people. You could say that the way Yeshua was different arrested the temple police when they were sent to arrest him. eh? Um, The last thing that this story tells us about people, and I would say this is the most important thing, is that people are thirsty. You are thirsty. Everyone in this city is thirsty. Yeshua said, if anybody's thirsty. Wh- what's the thirstiest that you've ever been? Can, do any of you, can any of you think to a time when you were really thirsty? Um, my brother Colin and I, when we were in Israel, we, uh, we decided we were going to hike the Israeli equivalent of the Grand Canyon. And this thing is way down south in the desert, it's like wild, rocky moonscape, right? You, you take a bus like, I don't know, four five six hours at least south through the desert to get there. And we didn't really have camping stuff, so we found this big, um, this big bin, recycling bin, where people throw their, uh, their pop bottles. And we started digging a couple out. We're like, well, we're going to need some water bottles. <laughs> so we went and we got, our, we got our hands in there, and we got some big two liter pop bottles and rinsed them out so bad, filled them full of water. We each had like 20, 30 liters of water, I'd say and we took our backpacks down to this desert and we just hiked for four or five days straight in like this grand, Israeli Grand Canyon. We didn't see anyone the whole time and our water ran out before we, were, before we finished our hike. And we, like, we had to hike out of there, right? So we hiked, I think for a solid day in the desert with no water. And I, I'm telling you, by the time we hit this highway and we were able to hitchhike through Makhtesh Ramon back up to the city where the bus depot was, we were really, really thirsty. I don't know, have you ever had like an experience where you're so thirsty, you just felt crazy almost. Like you would do anything for water. Like it's just, just get out of my way if there's a water bottle in sight. You see somebody like taking a sip and you'd almost just run up and grab it from them. You know, get like a little grunt and just, just slam it back or something like that kind of thirst. Yeshua was using the way we feel when we're thirsty, when there's something inside of us that's empty, when we have a craving, when we have a deep need. He was using that feeling that we have to try and tell us something about ourselves. Each of us have a deep need inside of ourselves. Each of us has something in us that's empty. Each of us like has this craving and we need to fill it somehow. And that's true of everybody that you will meet on planet Earth. And do you know why we're that way? We're that way, because way back in the beginning, when there were only two people, there was a guy and a girl, they were like this with the creator of the universe. His love filled them. He would actually come, like they lived in a big park basically, and he would come and he would spend time with them personally. And they were just so full of love, they were so full of life, like saturated. I don't know if any of you have had days when you just feel so alive, or times when you're so in love, and your heart just feels so full. And maybe you've had times when you felt the opposite, when you just felt so broken inside, like a broken jar that could hold no water, and you just felt dry, and you just felt empty. Can you tell the difference? That's why we're like that, because there was a time when we were close to our Creator, and we broke the rules, we chose somebody other than Him, we ended the relationship, and it has been a long and miserable journey since then. That's why we're thirsty. It's like we gotta get back to the source of water, right? Wow, fun. That was cool. Yeah, that's why they had that um beware of stampeding people sign at the edge of the park there, hey? <laughs> anyway, that's something that this story tells us. Everybody knows thirsty. And here's the thing, none of us just sit there on our behinds and say, oh I'm so thirsty. This is horrible. Everybody is drinking. Now, some of us... Hi, guys. How's it going? Good. Yeah! Yeah! Woohoo Woo! Yeah, no kidding. They didn't. That was pretty cool. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. This story tells us that all of us are thirsty and that everybody's going somewhere... They're taking their thirst somewhere. Everybody's drinking somewhere. So you know what? Just shout it out. Where are some of the places that people are going to try and quench their thirst? What, are, what is it that some, of the peop- some people are doing? Brothels. What? Brothels. Brothels, yeah. A lot of people will go to illicit sexual relationships for, to quench that thirst. or the, you know, Serial dating, one night stands, hooking up, all that stuff. A lot of people, they, they, they think that is going to satisfy that thirst. And you know what maybe it distracts them from that thirst for a period of time but then you wake up in the morning and guess what you're still lonely you're still broken you're still hurting and it didn't really do anything for you hey Um, for some people maybe shopping binge shopping um an obsession with some sport or hobby um relationships with people spending all your time with people because it's taking your mind off that thirst um Education for some people. Um, did you notice? Like, pretty much all of these things are good in their place. You know, if you're talking about shopping or um, you know, hanging, out, spending time with people, or an intimate relationship, or you name it, all that stuff is good, right? But sometimes people who are empty and thirsty inside, they think that that's going to fill them up, and maybe it distracts them or does for a bit, and then it's done, right? Hey, Linda, how's Lori? How are you doing? Okay, you brought me something to eat. Coffee, thank you.: we're on a break from work. Oh, awesome. We can't if we get a call. Oh, okay, okay, that's cool. Anyway, um, anyway, you, you name it. we're all going somewhere to drink, right? And Yeshua, he recognizes that when he looks at a person, he says, "You're thirsty. Like you have a deep need. You're not satisfied. And the stuff that you're going to to satisfy that need to fill you, it's not working, is it? And he says, "Come to me." I will fill you with love. I will give you real life. What do we call that in the scriptures? We call it the Holy Spirit. In Hebrew, we call that the Ruach HaKodesh. The, like, the, the, the reason we call that is because our Creator is holy. Yahweh is holy, and His, therefore His Spirit is holy. So we call His Spirit the Holy Spirit, right? And it's like when His Spirit comes into a person, actually they often use the metaphor of being Filled with the Spirit, like you're, like you're filled with water. Or having the Spirit poured out on you like you pour out water. These are some of the metaphors that are used, right? Why are these metaphors used? Because when Yeshua fills you with His love, when He pours out His Spirit on you, it's like taking the deepest drink you could ever have. It's like being filled with real life. It's like being satisfied with the love that we often go to human beings for, but that never really does it for us, eh? So anyway, that's something that this story tells us about us as human beings, that we are thirsty people and we're going somewhere to satisfy that thirst. How about Yeshua? What are these, uh, what are these stories from Yeshua's last autumn on earth, his, uh, his, his week at the Festival of Booths? What do these stories tell us about him? Uh, one thing they tell us is Yeshua's style is really different than most people's style different than yours and you're in my style. It's different than the, re- the style of most of the religious world today. Most people like if you want to get publicity, if you want to get famous, if you want to get your face on the magazine, if you want to get all of the Twitter followers that you can, there are certain things you do. And uh, doing like big public miracles, it's a really good way to get attention. It's a good way to get followers. It is. But Yeshua didn't do that. He was hush-hush. You know, he would help people, he would heal people, and then he'd just disappear into the crowd or he'd be like, don't tell anybody about this, okay? This is between you and me. He would do things like that, and Yeshua's brothers looked at the guy and they said, "We don't get it. This guy, he's there's something to him. He does these phenomenal miracles, but he's so quiet about it. He's so modest. He's so humble." Something else else that this story tells us about Yeshua is he was a real person. Like, he wasn't all like, uh, you know, us human beings, we love shock and awe. We love sound and light shows. We love the hype. We love all of these things often, right? Really, people love it. You get a big crowd together and they just go wild on stuff like that. But Yeshua was pretty pieced out. He was like a normal person. He worked a job. He lived in a small town. He took care of his mom and his younger siblings until he was 30. And like, Yeshua's own brothers didn't figure out that he was the son of God. His own, his own brothers didn't figure out that he was like the ultimate king of Israel. Man, doesn't that say a lot about his humility? About how, about how he just kept it so real? About how he didn't put on airs? I love that about Yeshua. I, I really admire that about him. I want to be like that. Wow. I, I, I totally want to be like that. Um, that's something that the story tells us about Yeshua. Something else it tells us is that he never went to Bible school or seminary. He didn't, for some reason, he didn't think that he had to get accredited. He didn't have to have degrees. What did he do? He did grow up learning the scriptures thoroughly. He grew up immersed in prayer. He grew up like this with his father. And the time came when he was filled with the spirit of wisdom. The time came when he was empowered. The time came when he was sent. And he did phenomenal things for his people. He helped the nation of Israel in a way that nobody had ever helped the nation. But he was still a regular guy. He was, still, he was still a carpenter. He still was a trades worker, right? That's something else that this story tells us about Yeshua. Something else it tells us is just that there was something really unique about him, something that was arresting. There was something like special about him that people would just be like, wow, that guy's different. And you know what? People today still know there's there was something different about yeshua i mean you know i i I like to hang out as much as possible with non-religious people and people that don't believe in yeshua and i love asking them what they what they think about jesus of nazareth because you know a lot of people today are turned off to religion you know let's say organized religion a lot of people have been burned by the church or they just go by hearsay and they're like church no way not for me you know but if you talk with them about jesus of nazareth a lot of people are pretty open to talking about him and pretty much everybody has an opinion and you know what the majority of people have really good opinions about Jesus of Nazareth. Most people know there was something to that guy. Maybe they've never read the memoirs that his apostles wrote. Maybe they've never actually like, heard many of the stories about him or his teachings. But it's just, it's a vibe in our culture that there was something about Jesus, like he was the real thing. And so, you know, I I encourage you um, with your neighbors, with friends, with people, uh, let's say you're going out for wings and you meet some new friends or something, don't talk church with them, but do talk Jesus of Nazareth with them and just see what they think of him. Just start a conversation and see what they think of him, right? That's something, that's something that you can do. And then finally, this story tells us about Yeshua of Nazareth that he has what everybody is looking for. What everybody is running for and working for and obsessing for and giving their lives for because there's something inside them that's thirsty and that needs to be filled and that wants to be satisfied, he can do that for people. He's the only one who can do that for people. And he wants to do that for people. It's amazing. Like he wasn't just sitting on the side being like, yeah, ah, maybe these guys one day will figure, figure out that. I could really do something for them. Like he was right there in the middle of the people, right there in the middle of the temple, standing up, shouting and saying, if you're thirsty, I'm here. If you're thirsty, here's your open invitation. Come on over. I'm available. I'll fill you up. I'll give you real life. That The Holy Spirit, I'll pour Him into you. And I'll pour Him through you. Just like a a river. Like a torrential waterfall. Like the Niagara waterfalls. I will pour Him through you like that. So that you can refresh other people. So that you can be life-giving with other people. That's what He said. That, that is our great rabbi. That, that is the guy who has become my hero. That is the person that I am in relationship with that has filled my heart in a way that nobody else ever could. That has satisfied me on a level that I'm like saturated. I'm full, I'm really happy, and it's because of him. And that's pretty rare in this world. And you know what, because I'm full, because I'm saturated, because I'm a happy person, I can enjoy great friendships. I can, I can love spending time with my wife and in my marriage, I can read great books, I can, I, can, I can have a hoot with my hobbies, I can do the stuff that I love to do, but I'm not going to that for my satisfaction. I'm just enjoying it as an already satisfied person, right? So that's something the story tells us. I, um, I'll finish with just a little bit of, uh, here maybe I'll play you a little song and just uh, tell you what I'm going to do next. Now I'm gonna tell you some writings from the ancient Jew, um, Jewish sources sorry guys anyway I just I just heard the keyboard like that and it sounded fun okay I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read you um no not right now precious we'll, we'll jam out together later I, I want to read you some writings from ancient Jewish sources from a couple thousand years ago, because here's Yeshua standing up on this big day of Sukkot, Hoshana Rabbah, and he's talking about water. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Why? What? What did that mean to his audience? I want to read you a couple uh, a couple things from Jewish writings that will help you understand that. In um, in the Jerusalem Talmud, we call it the Yerushalmi, which was written like. 17, 1800 years ago, it's really old. And also in Bereshit Rabbah, it's another really old Jewish writing. In Midrash Ruth, another really old Jewish writing. It it, it has this. There's a rabbi named Rabbi Joshua Ben Levi. And this is what he says. Why is the name of this festival that we do, why is it called the Place of Drawing Water? That's the Hebrew name, right? It's called Simchat Beit HaShoeva, the place of water drawing. Why is it called that? Because from thence and then in Hebrew it says shoavim ruach hakodesh. They draw the holy spirit. Did you hear that? This rabbi says, why do we call that day the like the water drawing place? Because that's where we draw the holy spirit. As it is said, quote, and you shall draw water with joy out of the wells of salvation. Isaiah 12, verse three. Okay, he quoted a verse from Isaiah 12. I'd like to read you that verse because um, it's kind of like the theme verse for that whole event. In Isaiah chapter 12, he's quoting a verse that says in English, therefore you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. What's the Hebrew word for salvation? Yeshua, everybody say Yeshua. That's right. In Hebrew this verse says, um, what does it say? It says Maim um, Me So they saw that as a day, that it was a picture of drawing from the Holy Spirit. Um, here's another here's another quote. This is from Midrash Kohelet, another um, ancient Jewish text. One of the sages say, As the first Redeemer, that is to say Moses, caused a well to spring up, so the last Redeemer, who's the last Redeemer? The Messiah, shall cause waters to spring up, according to Joel 3.18. So did you hear that? The sages read Joel 3.18, which talks about waters springing up in Judea um, in conjunction with the Messiah's coming, as it was understood. And they said, just like Moses caused waters to spring up in the desert for Israel, the Messiah is gonna cause waters to spring up for the people of Israel. Now, in this story from John, John kind of adds a little note at the end. Yeshua says, if anybody thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and then uh, rivers of water will flow from me, right? And then John adds, just so everybody gets the point, he says, he, this, he was saying this about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in Yeshua were gonna receive because the Holy Spirit hadn't happened yet because Yeshua hadn't been glorified. So he said, sorry, the Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet because Yeshua wasn't glorified. Do you know what the Jewish people in the Second Temple era believed about the Holy Spirit, whether he was around or not? The Jewish people believed, no, the Holy Spirit wasn't around in the Second Temple era. I'll 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 read three passages for you from Jewish texts about that. Quote. After the death of the latter prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the Holy Spirit removed from Israel. That's what the uh, Babylonian ta- Talmud, or the Bavli says in Yoma, in Sota, and in Sanhedrin. So did you get that? The Jewish people believed, okay, after these la- latter prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, Zach- um, and Malachi, after they died in the early Second Temple period, the Holy Spirit withdrew from the nation. Um, we, also, we also have uh, another Jewish sage saying, they made the Urim and the Thummim in the Second Temple to complete the eight garments of the priests, though they didn't inquire of the High Priest. And why did they not inquire by them? Because the Ruach HaKodesh wasn't there. And every priest that doesn't speak by the Ruach HaKodesh and the Shekhinah, which is you know the Shekinah glory, doesn't dwell upon him, they don't inquire by him. So again, there's another, there's another text that basically says the High Priest, people didn't inquire of the High Priest in the Second Temple era because the Holy Spirit wasn't with him, because God's presence, the Shekhinah, wasn't there. And then finally, I'll read you one more text. Um, This is from, again, from the Babylonian Talmud, Yoma. Quote: There were five things in the first temple which were not in the second, and these are they. Let's count them on our fingers. The ark with the mercy seat, and the cherubim, the fire from heaven, and the Shekhinah, and, fifthly, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Oh, and the Urim and the Tumim, He says. So anyway, um, there's just one more text to say, the Jewish people in Yeshua's time, they, they knew that something was missing. They knew that the Holy Spirit wasn't around anymore. And then what happens? Here the Messiah stands up and he says, come to me, believe in me, and I will give you the Holy Spirit that was on the Prophets of old. that was on the High Priest. Meaning what? I want you to be one of my Prophets. I want you to function as one of my Priests, my representatives. It's awesome. The best part of the deal is, his offer still stands. His invitation is still open to everybody in this park, everybody in the city. So, as we interact with people in this upcoming week, as we talk with coworkers, as we chat with our neighbors and stuff, just remember this. You have something that satisfies, that that person that you're talking with is looking for. You've got something that they're looking for. You have the Holy Spirit. And Yeshua is offering that to everybody we come in contact with too. So I, I pray that he'll use this to maybe um, get some of those people to the, to the drink that really satisfies. Thank you for joining us in this message. I pray that it's been an inspiration to you and your discipleship to Yeshua the Messiah. Crown of Messiah is a relatively small congregation with a massive mission. We're not just making disciples and teaching the Word of God here in our city. We're also doing that internationally through vehicles such as the internet. It is our joy to offer you these messages for free at absolutely no charge. At the same time, we do have ongoing overhead expenses. It costs us something to produce these teachings and get them out to you. And we would appreciate it if you would in turn support our work in a practical way. Help us cover some of our basic expenses. You can do that by going to our website crownofmessiah.com and going to the donate page where you can make a one-time donation or you can set up a monthly automated Donation. I'm reminded of the words of Yeshua's Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6. He said, Let the one who is taught the word share everything good with his teacher. So, if you're being taught the word by us, we would appreciate it if you would take the words of Yeshua's Apostle seriously and make some type of return for the blessing that we are giving you for free. That way, we'll all be in it together and we will be a team accomplishing the mission. That Yeshua has given us, and you will go from only being a receiver to also being a giver. If you're like most people, finances are tight. We understand that. Finances are tight for us too. That's why we need people like you to come alongside us and to back us in the work that Yeshua has called us to do. Thank you so much for making that donation at chronomessiah.com, and thank you for becoming a team member with us. We appreciate it.